European election results, three key takeaways from Europe, carbon taxes, and double standards. Irishman stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, my fellow freedom lovers. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accents. And today you actually might hear quite a few accents and you stay for the principles. Because today some of you are going to make maybe make a bit of an accusation against me. And that accusation is you're breaking your golden rule, John. You're going to talk about politics. And I know a lot of people will tune in and go, I'm going to talk a lot about politics today, but I don't want to talk about politics as in who to vote for or what's really important. What I actually want to do is take a deep dive and give you some analysis of exactly what happened over here in the European elections that we had last week, because I think there's some very key takeaways. And I'm not going to shout yay or nay for any party, because quite honestly, I don't have a party in this race, even though I live over in the, over here. But I do think there are several principles that we must learn. And there are several things that are going to make you very uncomfortable. Because I'm going to say there are certain things we should admire about certain parties. And I, even though I fundamentally disagree with some of these parties, but there's some principles that we can admire. So before I get to the real takeaways that I haven't heard very many, even in the media over here, talk about. I want to just give you some statistics, and I just want to give you a brief overrun of exactly what happened. So last week, during different days, so for example, our, our great friends in, in England, England voted on Thursday. Irish people, I can't do an Irish accent because it's the accent I have, but you know, the Irish people voted on Friday, some of our European colleagues voted on Saturday and Sunday. Because we can't have everyone vote on the same day. But every election ballot got vote counted on Sunday evening. And basically, the first statistics I want to throw out at you is the overall voter turnout for the whole European Union was 50.97%. So basically, just shy of 51% of people who could vote voted in the European election. When you go through some of the countries... What you'll find is the highest voter turnout was a really impressive 88.47%. And that was in Belgium. The lowest turnout was a real pathetic 22.74% in Slovakia. When you go through all the countries, there's 28 countries of the European Union. Only 13 of those hit a voter turnout of 50% or more. And a couple of them, I think one was like 50.3 and another one was 51.01 or something. So clearly there's a bit of an issue here, which we'll come back to in a second. But I want to focus in on two countries. Those two countries arguably are the two countries that had the most spotlight thrown on them. Because the one issue, even if you know nothing about European politics, even if you know nothing about the situation on the ground, even if you know nothing about what actually Europe does, 
The one issue, whether you live in Australia, whether you live in Asia, whether you live in America, you probably know about it, you've heard about it, and likely maybe even have an opinion on it. That is Brexit. Let me give you some statistics about Brexit. In the United Kingdom, Brexit is all everyone wants to talk about. Brexit this, is Brexit good, is it Brexit bad? What are the politicians doing? Will there be a hard deal? Will there be a no deal? Will, there, will they come together? Will they have to postpone Article 50 yet again? Well, in Brexit, the European people got, the English people got to vote for European elections. 36.9% was the turnout in England. 36.9%. Now, I want to give you some statistics of actually the breakdown of the vote in England. And in case you're going, oh my God, John, my eyes are starting to glaze over with all these numbers and stats. What's the point? I will get to some takeaways, but this is the foundation of what I want to talk about. You need to know these numbers. A newly formed party in England, you might have heard of them because I've criticized them on this show for the way conservatives in America have treated them. I think they've been too nice to them. Nigel Farage set up a new party six weeks ago. Six weeks ago, a new party was formed under Nigel Farage, the Brexit Party. They got by far and away the highest percentage of the vote, with 31% of people in England voting for Brexit. They only campaigned on one policy, we want out of Europe. They didn't have a tax policy, didn't have a healthcare policy, they had nothing. It was a one issue. If you voted for Brexit, it was pretty clear you were voting for one reason, one reason only. Other parties. England is a two-party system in that it's got two major parties. You've likely heard of them. You have the Conservatives, which is David Cameron, Theresa May. They've now been called into chaos again because Theresa May stepped down. You have the Labour Party, the party which we're going to actually talk about later in the show, um, which has been dogged by controversy over anti-Semitism. Labour got 14% of the vote. Conservatives got 9% of the vote. Now, just that right there, if you have a party that's dogged in controversy over anti-Semitism and they get 5% more than you, and you have the ruling party, you are the party that's sitting, you might want to do some self-reflection. The two big parties that gained the most in England were the Lib Dems and the Green Party. They got 20% and 12% of the vote. When you get to France, and I'm going to focus in on France because they're very close and they're obviously a big party. And because of, you know, Macron got in. I'm sure you've heard about Macron. President Macron, he's this big unity candidate. He's, he's going to rush to the center. Well, things aren't going so well in France. You might have heard of the Yellow Vest protests. Well, Macron's party got 8.5% of the vote in France. 8.5. And France, Marianne Le Pen, again, a person who I've criticized very heavily on this show and our party, especially the way the right in America, the CPACs of the world, have reached out to them and have given them all a big warm hug. Well, even in a turnout where it's low, after the last presidential election, you'd expect a bit of a bounce, right? No. 23% 23% of the votes she got, her party got. Now, I want to focus in on Ireland for one second, because Ireland's obviously, all the Irish issues have been about Brexit. Oh my God, is there going to be a hard border? Is there no border? Will it go back to the, the tensions of the past? Will there be war in Ireland? Will there be another civil war? Well, Ireland didn't even vote that highly in the European elections. Ireland got 49.7% of the vote. Ireland voted with 49% of the people. Now, a lot of people are mocking Ireland right now, um, and rightfully so, 
because we're still counting our votes. And as of Friday morning, there's a new report out that basically said there's one constituency that there's this big major um, clamor over. They, they basically ordered a full recount. And the, the election officer who's returning has basically said, yeah, this is going to cost us an extra million euro. Yay, because Ireland has so much money to waste. And it's going to take an extra 28 days, which is just like, oh, my God, seriously. How does it take 28 days to count that many votes? But there is a reason that this is important, and I'm not defending it, but there is a reason that people are not um, actually explaining why these votes are more important um, in Ireland than in other countries. Because Ireland got an advantage because of Brexit, in that they got extra seats. And the order of how you get elected is absolutely critical. Before, you could have said, look, we just call the election. It doesn't matter what order. If there's three seats, boom. There's three. If you know you three are going to get elected, then that's fine. We just call it now and done it. This time it's slightly different because in Ireland, because of Brexit, the European Union has given Ireland more seats, but there's a condition to it. So there's a constituency right now that had three seats normally. It got a fourth seat. The first three people who are elected in the in the elections go to Europe straight away. They are officially MEPs. That fourth person is not an official MEP, does not get salary, does not get benefits, does not get anything until Britain officially leaves the European Union. That's supposed to be in October, Halloween. If that goes postpones for another six months or another year or something happens, they don't get called. So the order of election, just to put this into context from an Irish point of view, the order of election is absolutely critical in this, in this turnout, in this election for Ireland. And that is why there's people taking their time and going very slowly and we have all these votes and all these ballots and we have a transfer system so it makes it a lot more complicated. 28 days is a joke, not defending it at all. But there's a reason for it. These are the statistics. I want to talk to you about some key lessons that if you're in Eng- if you're in America right now and you're going to go, I don't care about Europe. I don't care about anything you've just said. You need to care about what I'm going to say to you next. Because there are key takeaways that affect you and that we can all learn from. As always, I'm on social media, guys. I love interacting with you both publicly and privately. Um, I'm on Facebook at JonathanDunn58. I'm on Twitter, Freedom Disciple. I, I love I love talking with you guys. You guys are awesome, uh, especially over the last couple of weeks. Um, I'll talk to you about that later on. But you guys have been awesome. The words of encouragement, the, the kind words you guys give me, I really appreciate it. But I love engaging with you. Even when you, and a lot of you do, you, you message me going, John, I think you're completely wrong about this. You know, the amount of people who message me going, John, I think you're completely wrong about Trump. I think you're completely wrong about this person or that person or this principle. Okay, great. You know, I will say this, and I'm not saying, hey, how great I am, and I'm awesome, and I'm brilliant. No, I'm not. But I'll actually engage with you. I'm not going to tell you to shit down and shut up or you're wrong. I will have a discussion with you, even if you're like this person who listens to this show who probably is considering voting for Bernie Sanders. We have very respectful conversations. If you message me, don't be afraid to and say, John, I listen to your show when I can or all the time, and I think you're wrong about this issue. And I'll give you a more detailed answer if you want one, and then we, but we will leave as friends. We will just have a conversation, and if it's the conversation at the end of it is, hey, listen, you see this way, I see it this way, but that's cool. 
there's not going to be any name calling. So I love interacting with you guys. So what are the real takeaways of what I just spoke to you about Europe? Because there are certain principles, because I don't like talking politics. I hate it because I really get frustrated with it because, and I'm going to talk to you about why. Here's the first big takeaway. If you had me in a room right now and you said, John, you know a lot about politics. You've been around politics closely and from a distance for a while. You've covered it. What is the number one takeaway that politicians should do? Well, here's the truth. No one would listen to me after the first word I'd say. The one thing politicians need to learn, and I would say the exact same thing to American politicians. You need a period of self-reflection. This idea of looking and blaming other people and pointing the finger at, well, they're worse than us. If you look at these statistics, let me be quite blunt. In the whole European Union, one out of every two people could not be arsed to vote. They could not take 5, 10, 15 minutes out of their day to go put a, a piece of pen on a ballot paper and put it in a box. There is something fundamentally wrong with us. Why is that? You want? You, I love all these people going around, I'm going to speak, I'm going to be the voice for the voiceless. I'm going to rise up. I'm going to encourage people. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to be these change candidates. Well, one out of every two people said, you know what? I see all your unity parties. I see all the regular parties, which we've all heard of, all the ruling establishment parties. I see all these new proper parties, these independent parties, these change parties. Well, we're for a brighter tomorrow. We're different to them. And they saw all these leaflets, and they saw all these posters, and they saw all these campaign ads, and they saw all these social media platforms. But yet, one out of every two people went, yeah, I can't be up. I just cannot be bothered to vote. Now, you may think, well, that's John, that's European elections. But what's the turnout in in the presidential elections? What's the turnout in local elections in America? I told you the story which absolutely frightened me when I was there in February, where I met this lovely young lady who was going for the school board in Oklahoma. And she told me she was in this district, because I think it was by Senate, and I, I can't remember the figures offhand because it was February, and I'm just I'm, I'm a bit doped at the minute, but like it was hundreds of thousands of people who could potentially vote. And she won first place with something like 75 or 80 votes. And the second person, no, sorry, she won like with 120, I think it was. And the second person came in second with 75. And the third and fourth person came in with like 50 and 49. In a district of like 100,000 people, you're winning with 125 votes on your school board. But yet when I go on my social media feed, I see all these people, oh, Lord, do you know what the problem with America is? All these liberal professors, all these liberal indoctrination in schools. Yeah, this is the problem. Well, then get involved in your local school board. Have a voice. Teach, get them to start teaching the Constitution. Hold your teachers to account. There's the first takeaway. Self-reflection. How many politicians do you know actually want to do some self-reflection? And listen to people, not of why they voted for you, but why they did not vote for you. That actually, oh, listen, I get why you didn't vote for me, but I'm going to reach out and try and help persuade you vote for me. How many people are actually interested in that conversation? But let's not make this about Europe. Let's make this about America. 
How many people today are actually interested in having a debate with those they don't like? Are we all stuck in our purity test? Well, if you don't love Trump, I don't even want to talk to you. If you are not a libertarian, well, you're not libertarian enough. Or if you're not liberal, you're not liberal enough. You're not progressive enough for me. Are we all just sticking into the camps? Or do we look around and actually have conversations with each other? The second takeaway is linked to the first one. That in society right now, we have a growing apathetic culture. We have this culture of, yeah, I don't care. I don't care. I'll just moan and bitch and complain about what Trump does. Or about what the progressives are doing. Or how they're undermining and they want to get rid of the electoral college. Or how they're trying to impeach Trump. Or how Europe just won't listen. We have this growing section of society which will become dangerous one day if we don't start reaching out to them. When the majority start tipping in and people cannot vote. Not cannot, will not vote. Do you know what's going to happen? People are going to go, like, I don't know the situation about Slovakia. I'm not a, a big expert on Slovakian politics. But if you're there, if you're sitting there and you're going to go, well, look, we gave you the chance to vote and only 22% of you bothered voting. Why waste the city's money? Why waste? We'll just decide for you. We'll just decide who gets who gets represent, who represents you or not. Because 22% of you only voted. 78% of you don't really care. So why give you the option of voting? If we don't start reaching out to people and getting going, hey, here's why you should vote. And heck, I'll even take if you do what I do. I spoil my votes. I turn up, I get counted as someone. Yes, John Dunn voted. Jonathan Dunn voted. But did not vote for anyone. I spoil my vote. Here's the second big story that I've seen that no one has spoken about, even in America. It has not hit. And it affects potentially everyone immediately as the counts were going on in the European elections, and I was sitting up watching all all my favorite news stations, because they're all awesome over here. I was watching the BBC, I was watching Sky News, I was watching the, the state-sponsored TV in Ireland, RTE, you know, listening to see who they had as guests, and they had all these conversations, and it was all around Brexit. Right in the middle of that, Greece called for a general election. Because the ruling party in Greece got hammered. No one, it just was like, it was like, it just went along the, you know, the little ticker at the bottom of the telly. Constantly kept going around. Most of the commentators didn't even mention it. That is a big, big story that affects everyone. Why does it affect everyone? Because Greece doesn't exactly have smooth elections. Now, I, again, I'll be full disclosure. I'm not a political guy. I don't know the ins and outs of Greece politics and I don't even know who's favoured to win this election, I don't think anyone knows and that's a problem will the ruling party control, will the ruling party you know, go well you know what look we just did have a really bad European elections we're going to get power, will the conservatives come back to power, but why it's critical is Greece does not need any more instability, Greece has a lot of debt problems still even though we don't talk about it because we're just going to you know shh no one wants to talk about that. Americans don't want to talk about that. Your $22.3 trillion and just keeps going up. No one wants to talk about it. Anytime I talk about that, I get told, John, you're been anti-Trump again. Shut up. No, I'm just being consistent. I talk about that in Europe over here. No one wants to talk about it. That just goes, <laughs> up, 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 up. No one wants to worry about it. Greece has debt problems. Greece has got bailed out so many times. 
Now, again, I don't know what the people are going to run on. I don't know what the, the big issue that these politicians will decide, hey, what issue will we run on to vote and to get people to vote for so we can get power? I don't know whether it'll be more austerity or it'll be less austerity, where it'll be more benefits, whether it'll be maybe more freedom. I don't know. But there's a big potential that these elections won't go smoothly, that there'll be another coalition government, that there may be instability in the, in the Greece debt, which then in turn, if Greece has instability in its debt, will give a coal to the bond market overall. And then guess what happens? The bond market isn't just some contagious where, oh, well, John, I'm in America. I don't care. This doesn't affect me. Greece is like 10,000 miles away from me. I don't care what happens in Greece. And I, I don't even care if it spreads to Europe. It won't affect me. Yeah, it will. Bond markets don't work that way. If there's a problem, if there's instability, which is starting to show in the U.S. stock market, which is starting to show in other stock markets, because they're all starting to go down, starting to get a bit quiet, which no one is ever talking about again. This could be a little bit of a catalyst for a mini crisis. You start putting into that area, you start thinking about Greece and the bonds, and if there's potential for un- uncertainty there, then you look at what's happening in Iran and the Straits of Hormuz, and if that conflict gets even hotter and they start you know, shutting those straits and there's a problem with oil, all of a sudden then you have not a, just a, a little local crisis, you have a worldwide crisis of debts, bonds, and oil. What will happen? What will happen? Who will stand up to that? Who will, ha- who will be the steady hands? Where, what principles will we follow? Or will we just go back to our original camps? And now the principle that's going to make everyone in common. This election in Ireland, in a large part in Ireland, and also around Europe, saw one party rise to prominence. Not that they got some major amount of votes or they're, they're a ruling party now, But compared to where they were four or five years ago, and especially where they were in Ireland ten years ago, have made a remarkable comeback. And that is the Green Party. And I want to give the Green Party a lot of credit on one principle. And it's a principle, and let me be blunt with you. It's a principle, if you are a conservative, if you are a constitutionalist, if you are a libertarian, you need to follow this principle, I believe. Or you can learn a lot from it. Look, I think what the Green Party stands for is the biggest load of hogwash I have ever heard. Oh my God, climate change, climate chaos, global warming, global cooling. The world is going to end in four years. The world's going to end in five years. We have 500 days to climate chaos. We have 10 years. But you know what they do? They never change their message. They stick to that stuff. Whether they win elections or they lose elections, they will stick to the principles they believe in. And if they lose this election, they'll go, look, we're not changing our message. We're the Green Party. We fundamentally believe whether it's based on they actually believe it or they just think it's an opportunity. But they believe the world is going to die. And that fundamental change must happen. They will stick to those principles, win, lose, or draw. They are one of the most consistent parties, I can say, in Ireland who has followed at a distance Irish politics and in some part European politics. If they got 0.5% of the election, of the vote, I can guarantee you the day after that election, they will say pretty much something similar. Now, yes, they might change the wording. It might go from global warming to climate, you know, climate chaos, because we know we need to dramatize things. We need to get more people. But the underlying principles are we need to do more to save our planet. They won't change. They might change the wording. They may change the messaging. The underlying principles is we need to tell you what to do. 
we need to take more of your power because deep down our planet is dying and if we don't make fundamental choices we're we're going to die that is a principle that uh, oddly i can admire even though I, th- I do let me be clear i'm not saying hey i'm a green person i'm the furthest thing from a green person of what they stand for i am not a tyranny person i'm a freedom person but consistency on the issues now let me bring this back to an american point of view how many people are consistent on issues like the constitution you know whether you win or lose do you still speak about the constitution if you win or lose, whatever your principles are, I don't care what you know. If you're a constitutionist, whether you're a liberty person, whether you're a you know a debt person, whether you're a free market person, regardless of who's president or who's in controls the House of Congress or the Senate, are you consistent? Even if you don't like someone, I'm part of many discussions online, and again, I'm not a politic politician guy. I'm not here to defend anyone. But I would love to ask some of my friends, and these are two discussions I've been involved in that are driving me crazy this week in America. One is the whole Amash Trump thing. And I'll ask this again, once again. If you're a Trump supporter and you don't like what Justin Amash has done, and you're like, drain the swamp, baby. What does drain the swamp mean? This guy is one of the most liberty-minded guys in Congress. What If, the, if you're going to get rid of a guy who at worst has a 90% liberty rating, and voting the right way, like not according to me, but according to like Freedom Works, according to CRTV, all these people who rate congressmen, his lowest rating is ninety percent, his highest rating is a hundred percent. If you're draining the swamp and that's the guy you want to go after, what does draining the swamp mean? Now, likewise, because I'm not here to defend Justin Amash, I'm not again, I'm not a political guy. But to my Justin Amash friends who are currently attacking Rand Paul for some of the stuff he said on Fox News this week. Rand Paul has a really high freedom rating as well. Well, he's not his father. Okay. Again, that's for you to like. You, you can decide whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But what does, if you're like, you know, we need to get rid of him, what are you standing for? Because here's the truth. And this is the last point I want to take, give to you. What are you for? What are you for? I look at all these elections in, in Europe and in England and Ireland. I don't see many people, with the exceptions of the Greens telling you we're for more, you know, sustainable energy and blah, 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 and, you know, save the planet. Okay, there, you're telling me what you're for. Again, I disagree with it, but, okay, thank you for telling me what you're for. All these other parties? Nah. I have friends in the United Kingdom. I should have said this earlier on when I was talking about the United Kingdom. I had two really scary conversations about what's going on in the United Kingdom that make me fundamentally worry, and both from opposite sides of the aisle, quote-unquote. I reached out to a friend of mine on Twitter, and she's a lovely lady, and she, because of what she does, she wants to remain anonymous um, because she's in the public eye somewhat. And I went, listen, community, can I ask you a question? All I hear in your, in your media is about Brexit. I know Brexit Party won, and congratulations and all that, because she's pro-Brexit. But 36% of the people voted. Why is that? Why was it not higher? That If that was the only issue that you cared about. She said, John, let me be honest with you. There's a large chunk of people who are so disillusioned in my country right now who want Brexit, but honestly don't believe a vote matters. That we're sitting here going, you know what? It doesn't matter what we say or what we do. Their politicians are going to come together and conspire and do what they want to do. Because ultimately they know better than us plebs. And that's a quote. I reached out to a friend of mine who... Was, is a Labour person. 
and they're not I, I say everyone's a friend of mine it's not like we're chummy chummy i've probably spoken to this person once in or twice in two or three years and i just reached out and I went, hey what do you think of this and he went john i don't know what to say to you i didn't vote labor this time and i went why and he went well first of all anti-semitism that's a big issue to me I'm a big left to center guy. I believe in government and me and you disagree with it. But he said, second of all, I don't know what my party stood for. Are they for, you know, remain? Are they for a second referendum? Are they for leave? No one was clear to me. The big takeaway is we need to start telling people what we're for. We need to start telling, doing what America's founders did and why your American's founders were exceptional with the Declaration of Independence. Before they list out any of those issues with the king, they tell you clearly of what they are for. They tell you about, we are for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. How about we start, all of us, and don't make this about Donald Trump or the Republican Party, about Democrats. How about we actually just put out on our profiles, these are the three principles, two principles, one principles, ten principles I am for. And I will vote these principles accordingly. And if I don't, you want you to hold me to account. How about we have that? How amazing would that be? And again, you, you could pick three principles I fundamentally disagree with. You could pick tariffs as a principle. Okay, I did. we and you will just disagree. I'm a free market guy. But at least have that as a principle. About country first. Again, okay, we may disagree. It depends on the policies you want to talk about. You may talk about the Constitution. Great. Whatever your principles are, how about we start telling the world what we are for? Because let me be blunt with you. I'm, as someone who watches your politics from a very big distance, and I look at it through the lens of my social media, I don't know what Trump supporters are for in large chunks. I don't know what my Democratic colleagues are for, apart from ruining the Constitution, the policies come true. Hey, we want to remove the Electoral College. I see everyone, I saw some, one of my friends going, Yeah, go Kamala, you go girl! When she said, uh, what was it? I can't remember the full quote, it was like, you know, if any state wants to pass a abortion bill like Alabama, you come talk to me first. Okay, great, so you're queen now, are you, or something, or I don't give a crap what you say, or what your opinion is. But how many people are telling me what they're for? All my friends, and I have friends on both sides there, just point the fingers at each other. Hey, this is why Trump sucks. Hey, this is why the Democrats sucks. Hey, this is why Joe Biden's a creepy old man. I'm not defending Joe Biden, I think he is. But all the fingers are just pointing. How about we actually just go, you know what, look, look, I'll make it clear why I don't like you. Because I'm going to tell you what I'm for. If I lay out the case of why I'm for liberty, it's going to be obvious who I'm not going to be voting for in 2020. If I even make a policy of, hey, I'm for pro-life, it's, it's going to be pretty clear you're not going to vote for any Democrat. Unless there's a really rare Democrat out there who's really like... Okay? That ain't gonna happen. Tell people what you're for. Because that's not happening in Europe. I want to thank each and every one of you from the bottom of my heart to each of you who tune in each and every week. This show is not possible without every one of you. I'll still talk no matter you know if I've got one person listening or 5,000 people listening or whatever the number ends up in each week. But I, I want to grow this show, not because I, I, I don't make money off this show. I'm very open and honest about this. This is my volunteer. This is my hobby. 
and I love talking and engaging with you. I love discussing principles with you, but I want this show to reach new people, especially as we approach 2020. Not to tell you what to think. That is not my job. My job is not to convince you to vote for Trump or not vote for Trump or vote for a Republican or not a Democrat or whatever it is. My aim of this show each and every week is to get you to question yourself, to find out where you stand on the issues. If you think I do a decent job of that, or some of you think I do a real good job of that, please share it with your family and your friends. We're on every major platform. We're on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on Google Play Music. We're on Stitcher. We're on OmniFM, CastBox, Spotify. You name a platform that does does podcasts and radio, we're pretty much there. Search Freedom's Disciple. Please subscribe. Also, if I may ask a, a humble favor, if you happen to listen on a platform like iTunes that has like a rating and a review system, please leave a, a review and a rating because it helps the algorithm. It helps new eyes get on this show. And, and that's all I want to do. I want to help people find out where they stand on the issues. I think CastBox is the same. It has a review system. If you listen on CastBox, just leave a review. Just you know, say, hey, John sucks. Actually, if you, do, if you, if you think that, don't say that. Say John's awesome. That you, hey, because I know there's a lady who listens. See, I, I come for the French accent. <laughs> but I want to talk to you about policy right now. Because what we have to do, and I believe this from the bottom of my heart is, and again, regardless of whether you share my principles or not, we need to start telling people what we're for. And be crystal clear on it. Because politicians have... Regardless of what side you're on, whether you're Donald Trump, whether you're Republican Party, whether you're Democratic Party, whether you're Labour or Conservative in the UK, as a political party, you have these people who are spin doctors, who will word things slightly different. And if you're not crystal clear on what you are for, what principles you are for, you may find yourself getting caught up in, in the deceit and the spin that politicians do. Because politicians are usually, can be pretty good at it. And I want to talk to you about an issue that's happening in Ireland and how it got panned at the start and then they changed the wording and all of a sudden people are becoming very lukewarm and open to this idea. And it all revolves around the words punishment and incentives. So because Ireland has a, a history with the Green Party and you know we're a small, little, progressive, awesome country, and we are very, you know, pro-environmental and climate change and climate chaos or whatever. Whatever the, you know, I don't know. I'm not up to date on my green language. But whatever the wording of the day is, of it's climate chaos, just fill in the blank for me if you know the word. Climate chaos, global warming, global clooming, you know, climate catastrophe. Whatever the, the buzzwords of the day are to get everyone all excited. Well, there was a policy put forward that we need to, because we've got to, you know, comply with these EU emissions. The targets, you know, you've got to lower emissions by a certain amount by a certain year. Well, one of the things that people came up with this idea as well, do you know what we're going to do? Here's what we're going to do. To lower our emissions, we're going to come out with this carbon tax. And basically, every bit of carbon you use, you're going to pay this carbon tax on. Now, what's always very interesting to me about my friends who love taxation on all sides of the aisle, whether it's for tariffs or whether it's for carbon taxes. No one ever has a clear plan. We're going, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tax more. And they're never going to go, well, here's what we're going to do with the money. Like my friends who are like the carbon tax people, they're like, we're going to, you know, we're going to have all this carbon tax and that's going to solve emissions. No, that's just going to give the government more money. Like at least I would have some more respect for you if you kind of went, listen, here's what we're going to do, right? Because we believe the world is, you know, CO2 is the enemy and oh my God, we're going to have this carbon tax. 
And we're going to take that carbon tax money. We're not going to give it to the Treasury. We're not going to give it to the IRS. I'm using American terms. We don't have a Treasury or an IRS. We have we have a Department of Finance because it sounds so much more prim and proper, baby. But you know, we're going to give it to. The, we're not take. We're taking it from the Treasury. And for every cent we get in carbon tax, we're going to plant a new tree. Or every dollar we get from carbon tax, we're going to plant a new tree. And what we're, the reason this will help is because you know, you're effectively you know, paying a carbon tax to plant a new tree, and the tree will eat the CO2, and therefore the environment will be better. Okay? I'd have more respect if that was their plan. It isn't. It's just to get more money out of you. But that was panned by everyone. Everyone went, no, no, we can't have a carbon tax. That's horrific. That's a horrible idea. And then people started coming out with the, because we, we have a class system over here in Ireland. Well, you know, that's not fair. The carbon tax, that's not fair. That's not progressive enough. Because here's the thing, you know, I know, yes, they drive different cars, but if you have like a, a middle class or working class family and you're going to tax them on the, on the carbon they use, and then you have this like evil millionaire and billionaire, and you tax them on their SUV, yeah, they'll be paying slightly more in tax, but they can afford it. You know, the millionaire and the billionaire isn't going to miss like a 500 euro a year carbon tax. But the working class family, you know, with their little Ford, they might have to pay 200. And that's a lot of money to a working class family. What could they not, what could they not do that they could have done before if we didn't have this carbon tax? That we're punishing honest to God working families. But it's those even millionaires and billionaires who, you know, can afford it, won't, won't have a problem. It's not progressive enough. And then all of a sudden this wording came out. It was a punishment. It's a carbon tax, which is always gives you a sign of a, you know, you're worried the planet is going to die. You're, you're literally telling me the planet is going to die. Now it's changed to 12 years or 11 years because of this UN report, which has been clearly, even the writers of the report have come out going, yeah, we didn't say this. We did not say 12 years the planet's going to die. All the predictions they've said in the past about, you know, where New York could be underwater, it isn't. All these predictions are all wrong. All the temperature predictions are all wrong. But let's let's pass on that. The, you think the planet's going to die and you're worried about affecting families. How is the family who's that middle class, working class family going to survive if the planet is dead? Surely of all the things you can think about charging taxes for, you know, education, okay, yeah, you got an important if you believe what you believe, or trade, or protection of jobs, or, you know, debt, or whatever it is, you know, health service drugs okay you're literally telling me the planet's going to die in 12 years and you're worried about fairness surely that is the one issue that the planet's going to die fairness goes out the window right but they started to change the wording of this now because what they've i've had all these green people on tv this week because of the european election go look that's a punishment look what we need to do is we need to make politics more inclusive and we need to stop punishing people but what we need to start doing is incentivizing people. And what we need to do is we need to look at our European colleagues and incentivizing people to go green. We need to give people grants, you know, to get solar panels on their on their, their houses. We need to start incentivizing people to go ahead, drive electric cars. We need to start investing is always the other key word to look out for. We need to start investing because one of the problems you have is there may be people out there who want an electric car, but where do you top it up? Yeah, you have to go out your way, and sometimes you got to go a, bit, a fair bit out of your way to charge your car up. What we need to start doing is investing in more 
uh, power-up stations so that they're convenient for people, that it becomes to a point where it's like a petrol station where you're literally just driving down any road, wherever you drive to work or to the schools or to your hobbies, to the gym, that there's like there's a petrol station on every corner. We need a charge-up station. We need to start investing in these charge-up stations. And that it's convenient for people. We need to stop this punishment politics. We need to start incentivizing people to do things the right way. Now, people are starting to warm up to the second one because it's not a punishment anymore. It's an incentivization. It's not a, we need to tax you. It's, we need to give you money. Which do you think people are going to buy? Now, here's why I want to talk to you. Why you must be crystal clear on what you are for. It's because they are both the same policy. Just worded very different and will target different people. You see, a carbon tax is just for everyone. If you use carbon, you've got to pay a tax on it. The second one doesn't mention anything about taxation. But the money's got to come from somewhere. The money's got to come from taxation. It just will be a more progressive taxation because the little middle class and working class family will be the recipients of the grants. They'll get all this money to go put you know, solar panels on their, on their house. They'll get money to... Oh, the other one was to insulate houses so heating, the heating doesn't escape so quickly. The other one is, the, you know, the, the investing in the, they'll think of jobs, investing in all these power-up stations, all the jobs that'll create. The little man, little man on the street, the working class won't pay for this. It'll be the evil millionaire and billionaire. So the way if you're wording, if you're not based in principles, you'll find yourself going, yeah, I, I think the government should incentivize me to act that way. That's, that's a good idea. And if you give it, make it more beneficial for me to drive an electric car than a carbon-based car, I'm going to do it. Because it's cheaper for me. And if you have all these power-up stations, damn right I'll go for it. And if you give me money and it doesn't, it makes me easier to have solar panels and it'll save me money in the long run because you're incentivizing it and you're giving me grants, I'll go for it. But at the end of the day, someone's still got to pay for it. It just happens to be, I don't know if I'm going to be paying for it or not because you haven't laid out the plans. It's just come out of the treasury. Will it be you'll borrow money in my kid's name, which is highly likely in part? Or will you just increase taxation on the wealthy? This is why you must, must, must be rooted in principles. Because these two policies are the same. One is just worded a lot differently. One just had specifics. The other doesn't. Because instead of telling me what you're going to take from me as a quote-unquote punishment, and that is the word they used, you're now telling me what you're going to give me. And that's an incentive. And at the end of the day, the vast majority of people, if you say, I'm going to give you money, if you just do a certain thing, a large chunk of people will go along with you if you're not rooted in principles. And that's why it's absolutely crystal clear we must start talking about principles and laying out the case of exactly what we are for, regardless of what side does it. Because there is a set of principles in life which are right and which are wrong which must be followed and which must be stopped. And it's up for each and every one of us to decide what we will go along with and what we will not go along with. I want to finish up today's show by just talking to you about two brief principles that I think are absolutely key. On a personal note, the first one is um, 
thank you all so much for your lovely kind messages and words of support over the last couple of honestly for the longest time since i've started doing this show for for many of you who joined me the minute i joined the blaze but because it's been a journey but especially over the last couple of months where it's been a there's been a lot of ups and downs well actually more downs than ups in my life um it's been a bit of a bit of a trying time and this week has been a bit of a freaky week um as you know a couple of months ago i was involved in a car accident and I got hit from behind by a lady and it caused a few issues in my shoulder and my neck and I've been a lot of, not pain, I've been really lucky I haven't had much pain, but just discomfort and annoyance and frustration on top of a load of other issues which some of you know about, some of you don't know about. But this week I had some, I got brought into hospital and got a procedure on my neck and on the the big muscle that links your neck and your shoulder and got injections and I had a really freaky experience and where they brought me down and there's two different injections. One was steroid-based and one was kind of relaxed and volume-based for the muscle. And I got went through the procedure fine, no problem. Had a nurses were brilliant. Go back to their room, get a you know, get a rest for a while, get they bring you like food because you're you're on starvation from that morning. And then, you know, one of the things they make you do is they don't let you discharge you and leave you until they go through your vitals and you got to pass water. So I get up and I go to the toilet. I get an escort from a lovely nurse and had a bit of a, a freaker, um, really scary. Um, basically, I started shivering and, and couldn't breathe. And eventually, they got me back to my bed and and they started taking my blood pressure. I think it was like 196 over 160. And just really really truly a frightening experience and two ladies were really nice two nurses just they wouldn't leave me they were making sure i was all right very attentive very very just really nice people and it's it's really nice to see and i saw a lot of nurses and doctors just helping people and just you know compassion in a world where we are so thinking about ourselves it's nice to see other people who are going the extra mile and for those two nurses and all the people i dealt with were really nice and really caring and it really taught me that you know life is precious you know i i don't know what could have happened to me on on wednesday but you know getting a blood pressure spike that high is not exactly healthy and um, i've also found out about some other health issues which i found out through a scan because of this car injury so um i'm becoming like the the walking dead and um, i've got a B, I'm low on B12 and I have an underactive thyroid. So, for all those wondering, if you see a picture of me in a couple of months who's a lot skinnier and has hair, it's because of the you know the illnesses. Um, it's it's a great excuse, you know, Your Honor. I could go before court and say, Your Honor, I I uh, it wasn't the burgers and it wasn't the pizzas why I'm overweight and fat. It's it was I have an underactive thyroid. So you know we got to play games with this, but it's really really important. And the other thing I've learned is that. Some of you have copped on that I'm not exactly happy the last couple of months, and there's been a lot of reasons for that. You know, if 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 you felt that I haven't been the same, I apologize. But the one thing I will say, it, it gives you a new lease on life and things start turning around, is that, yeah, I was down, I was on the ground, I was on my knees, but you know what? No matter how bad things get in life, the, the, the phrase, this too shall pass, is real. Whether you believe it from a scriptural point of view, or whether you believe it just from a factual point of view. You know, you. I don't know what you're going through in your life right now. You may be literally on the ground going, I'm done. You know, you could be waving the white flag of surrender. You could be tapping out like crazy. Okay, I'm done, life. Just can't do it anymore. 
eventually it will pass. You know, you may be down to the lowest steps in your life right now, whether you're dealing with health issues or finance issues or, you know, work issues or, you know, relationship issues. You know, they will pass and you, you're not out. You can overcome these things. You know, and, you know, if you have a bit of a sense of humor, you'll overcome them with a bit of humor. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story, which I found hilariously funny, because I, I don't spend much time in doctors. You know, I'm, I'm the last person. I'm As the nurse described me, you're just a typical guy. You know, I literally will come to you when I'm dying looking for a miracle. But, I, you know, when you're going through procedures in a hospital, you got to get, you know, you got to get in a gown. And so on my bed, they, they bring me to this bed that is my bed for the for the afternoon. And on the bed, there's a gown, um, nice multicolored floral gown, you know, really macho, you know, um, and this white mask type thing. And of course, John, being the tall, ignorant, dumb person that I am, uh, so I'm getting changed in the doctor's check. I'm going, so is it time now to get into this stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Just do it at your leisure. We're going to bring you down to the theater and we'll do stuff. Just not in immediate rush, but do it. So anyway, I get into the gown and I take off my t-shirt and my hoodie, get into the gown and I ask, because it's my shoulder, I wore like um, sweats, like can I wear the sweats down in there, like because I, I actually suffer with the cold and Ireland's not a, a warm place, and, yeah, no problem, leave them on, just make sure nothing on in your top. So he's coming back, checking me in, and then one of the nurses comes back and she's like, Mr. Dunn, we're gonna, you're going to be brought down now in the next, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And I'm like, you know, this thing, you know, this cap for my hair, do I really need to wear it? Because I'm bald, you know, it's, I'm guessing for, you're like, what do you think that's for? I'm like, it's a cap for your hair, you know, for hygiene. She went, no, <laughs> no, 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 you poor little dopey little, poor little pleb. Uh, she didn't say that. I was just kind of giving her words in her mouth. They're knickers. You know, you can put them on if you wish. And I'm like, oh, good God. <laughs> so you can be totally ignorant. You know, you can make awkward situations like that the way I didn't make it a joke. Or, you know, you can be it's all serious about life. I found it hilariously funny. She found it funny. And then, of course, I started talking to her and I was like, well, do many people wear these? Because, you know, as a guy, you know, you have this, you know, men are macho and we're all Hulk Hogan, you know, and like the the flare, if the floral gown didn't make you feel all macho, you know, these little white transparent knickers might. And she said, no, guys generally don't wear that, but women do. And I went, okay, I got it. It makes more sense now because they kind of look like things, but guys can wear it too because if you're comfortable, you're comfortable. Um, so the first thing I've learned is no matter how bad you are at life right now, imagine no matter how things bad get, it will pass. And, you know, it, once you're not out, you've got a chance of, you know, overcoming things. If you've made mistakes, you know, you can change things. You can still make a positive impact on society. And that's my still aim. My aim is still to make a positive impact, even though there's been a lot of bad things happen. The second thing I want to finish off on is just... Again, just going back to kind of politics and about standards and about principles. You know, one of the things when I engage with you, people go, why do you avoid politics and people so much? Why do I avoid it? You know, why don't I support people? You know, John, there's good candidates out there. It's not my job. It is not my job to go, hey, you know, you should support this candidate. I'm not for any candidate. I'm not against any candidate, even though people say, oh, you don't like certain people. I generally don't like most politicians. The reason I'm not for people is because even if I use myself as an example, I am, I don't know how to pronounce this in, you know, in not being an egotistical person, but and while I'm not the most well-read, there are people like Glenn who read a lot more than I do, they're speed readers. 
anything I present to you before this show is well thought out. It's I don't just come behind this microphone going, hey, well, let's talk about this and not do research. I do a lot of research. I do a lot of reading, do a lot of prep work. I present an argument in a way that makes you question. Uh, but also, in my opinions, I've thought them out. I've had sleepless nights. But I'm not perfect. I'm not God. I'm not a this being who's right about everything. So if I'm not going to support myself 100%, why would I support anyone else? I'm about principles. Principles are eternal. Whether we agree on the principles that we say are eternal, I believe there are certain things that are eternal. You know, your right to free speech. You know, there, there isn't a, hey, well, you can say these things, but these things you can't. No, there's eternal. I believe in free speech. But also, the other reason I avoid politics is because it has become so much about sides and political expediencies. I want to give you an example about this in Ireland right now. Ireland is a country which talks about its neutrality. And, you know, you've probably heard, you know, Ireland is, you know, the Cade Me Default country. We welcome everyone. Cade Me Default is like a million, million thousand welcomes, I think it is, is what it translates to in English or is something like that. Well, this week, as in this week from, I think it was this Thursday and Friday, the Irish people and the Irish prime ministers and Irish leaders, quote-unquote, around society, are welcoming a man called Jeremy Corbyn into Ireland. And everyone's getting photo ops with him and everyone's getting pictures and he's been showing around. And in case you don't know who Jeremy Corbyn is, he's the leader of the Labour Party in England. The same Labour Party which, to put into context, is currently being investigated by an outside body for anti-Semitism and anti-Semitism cover-ups. Now, to put this into context of English politics, which you may or may not know, in the history of English politics, there have only ever been two parties investigated for anti-Semitism at this level. The current Labour Party and the BNP. And the BNP is called the British Nationalist Party, and they are widely mocked, condemned, and just cast aside for the the people that they are and the history that party has for the longest time. You think of the bad people of politics, BNP are pretty much there. You know, you go back to what they did in the 70s. They were very racist, very anti-Semitic. Just, they were investigated. Labour is at that point, And Labour is a mainstream party. This is Jeremy Corbyn, just in case you need more context of who this guy is. This is the same guy who mourned and placed a wreath at the grave of Hamas terrorists. Now, I don't know about Jeremy Corbyn because I don't know the guy. I've never met the guy. Quite honestly, I would never want to meet the guy. But at the very least, this guy has been weak and is gullible and is either immune or just does not care or doesn't have the balls to stand up to his own party members who are really anti-Semitic. I don't know which one it is, but he's at the very least been guilty of turning a blind eye to anti-Semitism. And the last time I checked in this world, everyone thought Hitler was a bad guy. You know, maybe we shouldn't be anti-Semitic. Now, I know that's a double standard in itself because we can have people going, well, Hitler's a really bad guy, but, you know, Israel's an apartheid state. He is in Ireland right now. Where is the outrage at his visit? Let me save you the hassle of research, but if you want to do your own research, by all means, question everything I say. There is none. Where are the protests at this guy's visit? None. Zip. Nothing. Next week, next week, the first week of June, Ireland will welcome President Donald Trump. Now, whether you love Donald Trump or hate him, Donald Trump puts his country first. Whether you agree with the policies or not, 
He's also, because we're talking about anti-Semitism, he has been the strongest leader in probably the longest time to support Israel. He has done things much to criticism from people around the world and how he's bringing World War III to the area, some people have said, because of standing for Jerusalem being the capital of Israel. Clearly, there are many criticisms you can level, fair or unfair, at Donald Trump. You cannot say he's anti-Semitic. Where, what are the plans for the outrage of his visit next week? Well, let me tell you, there is a lot. There's even people questioning, what well, should we really be the Ireland of Tows and Welcomes? Shouldn't we only let people, some people in and like exclude people like Donald Trump? Will there be protests next week? Yeah, there's going to be a lot of protests. They're even talking about bringing that damn stupid Trump baby balloon around, which is just wonderful. It's like nothing makes an articulated principle argument than a balloon of Donald Trump in his underwear. Yeah, because that's going to make me like or dislike Donald Trump a lot more, isn't it? This is the level of discourse we have. The double standards of Irish people when it comes to politicians. When it comes to helping people, when it comes to being nice, Irish people are really nice. When it comes to politics, their principles suck. Their double standards are disgusting. And I include some of my own family members in this, by the way. Now let me be crystal clear. This is a clear double standard. If you're going to welcome Donald Trump or you're going to welcome Jeremy Corbyn, you should be welcoming Donald Trump. Or if you're outraged at both of them, then be outraged at both of them. But to be outraged at one and not the other shows your hypocrisy. Because when it all comes down to it, they all kind of believe similar things about the role of government. Donald Trump could be your best friend if you were smart on the left. You know, he's agreed to, in principle, a $2 trillion infrastructure project. If you'd be nice to him, you could get stuff done, but you're so outraged because Hillary Clinton lost, you didn't do it. This is the problem that you have in society. Now let me boil this down to principles, because this is what this show is about. I am a freedom guy. I am a believer in individual liberty. Even as I spoke about a couple of weeks ago, you have a constitutional right in my eyes, even though it's not in the constitution, to be an idiot, to be a moron, to have double standards. If you're outraged at Donald Trump or Jeremy Corbyn next week, I believe you have a fundamental God-given right to protest. I even think you have a God-given right to be an insulting protester and bring out this damn Trump baby. Even though I think it's vile, disgusting, and wrong, and also stupid. It's, you know, I actually would love to have an intellectual discourse with people. When someone's resort is, hey, bring out a baby of Trump in his underwear. By the way, I'd love to have the same double standards. I know my friends on the right wouldn't do this because a lot of them have a lot of class, but could you imagine if, if they had done this a balloon of Barack Obama in his underwear? Could you imagine the reaction to that? So I'll defend your right to protest all day wrong. I will also defend your right to be silent to, for Jeremy Corbyn, to just turn the blind eye, go, ah, look, don't worry, it's Jeremy Corbyn, don't worry, he's not that big of a deal. He's not a world leader like Trump. Trump has power. Jeremy Corbyn's only in opposition. I will defend your reasons for double standards all day long. I just won't join either of you. But what I will do is I will call out your double standards. Because it's a double standard that is enforced and perpetrated by the media, by the state media in Ireland. Because all it is is boils down to all what agenda we want to push. Oh, Jeremy Corbyn isn't that bad, but Trump is Hitler himself. When we make things about personalities, we all lose. And when you uh, bring you back to your revolution, 
I love George Washington more than most. I get it. Some people don't share that love. But your revolution wasn't about George Washington. Your revolution was about principles. And I can prove this to you. I want you to think of the, the I don't know what way to say this, the dumbest person you know about American history. I guarantee you that person can at least name or recite one phrase or one set of words or one sentence from your Declaration of Independence. It might be, we're all endowed by our creator with certain individual liberties, among those life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All men are created equal. When in the course of human events, I'm sure you all know someone who can at least name those. We pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. You all know someone, even if they don't know anything else about American history, they've, they've kind of, it's stuck with them from learning and from school. Now think of the amount of people that you know who can say that, dumb or smart. Now think of those same people and say, name one person who actually signed the Declaration of Independence. Name one. Or, hey, even if you can't name one, tell me how many people signed the Declaration of Independence. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 54, 100, 200, 1. Do you know the answer? America was always about principles. Principles first. When you make things about people, I believe we may have short-term games, but eventually you lose. When you make things about principles, you have an impact on the world and on your society that America had. Because America was always principles first. Just something to think about. I hope you've enjoyed this show. I hope, as always, it's given you plenty to think about, to ponder on. And hey, even if you disagree with me, that's cool. Drop me a message on Facebook, social media, Facebook or Twitter. We'll engage with you. I love, I love, love discussing with you. And please subscribe. Please share this show with your family and your friends. I can't do this without you and, and to grow this show. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, I hope you all have a beautiful and blessed week. And we salute your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets, the men and women who risked it all 24-7. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. Never, ever forget the secret sauce to America. America is great because Americans are good. You're not great because of Trump. You're not great because of Nancy Pelosi or, or Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell or any of them. You're great because of each and every one of you. And our prayers and our thoughts go to all the people who are going through all the severe weather in in Dayton, Ohio, in Oklahoma, and every other place where the weather is just going mental. You're not alone. Until next week, America, have a beautiful and blessed and safe week. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.